0: This is the Relevant Life Church Podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word.
1: Well, good morning, good morning. Thanks for being here today. I'm glad that I'm speaking with you here today, so I'm not near you. I guess I kind of am. I could come stand by some of you, but I love Kendra's statement. She said something. I'm glad I'm in the vicinity of greatness or something like that. that was, Kendra, Kendra taught me on that one. That was good. So it wasn't towards me, though, because I think it was towards my wife, which I agree with that. So anyway, um, I'm glad you're here today. Who's excited to be in the house of God? Welcome, welcome online to those who are with us today. Um, I'm really excited for what God's going to do, um, hopefully in our hearts today from today's message. Before we jump into that, I want to um, echo a couple things. First of all, um, our host video said that if you're new with us, fill out a connection card. And I would encourage you to do that. You can find it in the back of your seat, a physical copy, or use your phone to fill out the digital card by scanning the QR code. And doing that, we'd love to connect with you. If you do do this and you're new, we'll reach out to you, um, and, and we'd love to hear your story. So second thing, though, is today is Pastor Sarah's birthday— She's not in here for us to embarrass, so I'm going to save us singing really horribly next service. But uh, I would encourage you to just reach out today. She's up serving the kids right now. But um, if you catch her, or if you have her number or social media, reach out and just encourage her and say how much you love her. She's a a gift in Allie and I's life, our staff's life, and this is church's life. And um, we're grateful for her, right? Come on, if she's upstairs, you got to be louder than that. We're grateful for her, right? All right, hopefully she heard that one. Anyway, I'd encourage you to, to spoil her, maybe buy her a pumpkin spice latte, even though they're of not the Lord. Um, but, uh, you know, it's her birthday, so we'll let it pass. Anyway, with that being said, we're stepping into week four of a series we've been in called? Come on, a series we've been in called? All right, that got weaker. It's fine. Um, If you're new with us or haven't been here for this series yet, or perhaps you checked out the last couple weeks, we've been taking um, the month of October as a community to talk about the idea of generosity and financial giving. I know, everyone's favorite topic. Woo! Like, everyone loves this topic. But I think sometimes people hear this idea of generosity, and we immediately go to, okay, like, what are they asking for now? Like, I got Christmas coming up. I got to pay for stuff. Like, how much do you need me to give so you get off my back, right? Does anyone feel like that? Don't raise your hand. God sees. Anyway, uh, the truth is, yes, we need money to meet needs at RLC and to do ministry. I don't want to try to hide that reality away behind um, a different motive. Um, The church's bills, our staff's livelihood, our ministry vision, the mission of God through RLC, the programs we offer, they all hinge on money to a degree, right? Just like any other venture in the world, we need money. But there is another truth that we've been trying to point out in this series, and I want to try to um, bring my own flair to it today just to talk as we, as we dive into another topic, is that we're generous not only because, yes, there's needs to be met, but because we were, we were shown generosity from a God that was so generous. And so we, we turn around and are generous and st- um, as well which is where this phrase above and beyond comes into play. This word above and beyond or this phrase above and beyond means actions or behavior that exceed what is required or expected. And when it comes to giving, I want us to catch this. Will you throw that next slide up there for me? Above and beyond is a heart posture and response, not just like, not just like, God, you're so good. No, it's like physical action that is formed by the recognition that giving is a privilege we have as people that have been given so much from above and beyond giving God. It's, it flows out of us. It's, God, thank you for action. I'm going to do action. Many of us stop it. Thank you, God, for action. And we never do anything with it. And that's not what we were called to do. And so above and beyond this idea is like, because we were given, we will give. And so over the past decade at RLC, I know we have many new faces, especially these last few years in our community, we have again and again actually come back to this idea of taking a portion of the year and centering our attention as a community around giving in, in this way, above and beyond giving. And not only do we talk about it, but we actually put action steps to it, right? We all know this. It's one thing to say you do something, it's another to do it, right? 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 All you know, like if you have kids and you're just like, dude, do something, and they're like, yeah, I got it, but they don't do it. You know that's not a win. I got you. Okay, um, th- where are the kids? Bring them in. No kidding. Um, anyway, this has led us to take on many different giving projects over the years, and we've done this. And I want you to catch this because I think generosity works like a muscle. And you can let it atrophy if you choose to step out. And this is why you're like, why do we talk about giving so much? Well, the fact that you're asking that question to me shows that you're atrophying. It's like when you go to do something, you're like, dude, my leg hurts. Like what? It's like you haven't used that in a while, right? It's the same thing when it comes to generosity. So we've shown this over the years by raising thousands of dollars for, um, for Bible translation projects in other countries, funding a missionary's vehicle, um, raising money to local projects in our area, doing a 90-day giving money back guarantee um, to test. God in the area of tithing, and this year we've taken on two projects, say two projects. And the second project, which I'm going to highlight first because it's the lesser of the two, is focused on resourcing um, our furthering of ministry at RLC. There's some things we would really like to do that we're trying to raise a little bit of money for, but the main project, to say the first project, is to Oregon Kyle Alpha uh, Ministries, and this week I was going to explain this, but then we received a wonderful video from Pastor uh, Missionary Chi Alpha person, Bethany, in the back over here. And uh, it did such a beautiful job of explaining why we're raising money. And so I want you to check out this video really quick.
0: Hi, Relevant Life Church. My name is Bethany. And for those who don't know me, I am a member of Relevant Life Church and have been for the past 14 years. Um, I actually used to serve on pastoral staff as a youth pastor and creative arts pastor. A handful of years ago, I transitioned into a new phase of ministry and I'm currently serving at Oregon State University with a campus ministry known as Chi Alpha. For those who aren't familiar with Chi Alpha, Chi Alpha is an international campus ministry that endeavors to reach students on college and university campuses throughout the United States and across the globe. When I found out that Relevant Life Church was partnering with Chi Alpha and the Accelerate Now initiative to reach a million dollars for a million students, I was so excited. I was so excited to get to be part of a church that really believed in this vision of reaching students on our college and university campuses. And I was so excited to get to be part of our church and part of that time of giving. And so I wanted to share with you a little bit of the details behind what that looks like. And I'm currently standing at the Haven House. The Haven is a ministry center for us here at Kai Alpha. This is both a home for men who are students here at osu and it is also a center of ministry for us so the first three stories of this building are housing for these students so um, it has different students who are saved and unsaved it's a community for both and then the basement of this is where our team functions out of we have Um, a conference room, an office space, we have a small library area, meeting room, it's where we store all of our equipment for ministry. And this is really a center of ministry for us here at Oregon State University. Part of the Accelerate Now initiative is to raise money to help pay for this building, to pay for um, this to be paid off, and also so that this can be replicated. It's part of our Oregon State University Chi Alpha's dream to be a sending team and to launch out teams and to different colleges and universities throughout the state of Oregon that don't currently have a Chi Alpha on campus. And the goal is not to just launch Chi Alpha at those, but to have similar ministry centers like this at each and every one of those locations. We also want to be able to strategically place those ministry centers. So I'm not only standing at the Haven, but I am across the street from Oregon State University, which has us perfectly positioned to be able to literally just cross the street and be with our students on the campus. It's an accessible strategic location. We also are located only a block or two away from Greek Row, where all the fraternities and sororities are. So there's so many opportunities for ministry when you have a ministry center strategically located next to campus and next to places of need. And that's the goal is that we're taking time to raise money and prayerfully consider how we can give so that As Chi Alpha grows throughout our state, we can have ministry centers like this at every single campus. And so I want to challenge and encourage you to be perfectly asking God, God, what are you asking me to do? How can I contribute and be a part of this bigger vision to reach students throughout our state? And I'm excited to see at the end of this big gift what is going to happen, not just here at OSU, but for the rest of our Chi Alpha teams that exist and are going to be launching throughout the state. So thank you so much, RLC, for deciding to partner with us here at Chi Alpha. Thank you so much for taking time to seek the Lord and say, hey, God, how would you have me join in this effort? And I'm excited to see what we accomplish together as a church family, um, together with all other churches in Oregon who are helping to give a million dollars to reach a million students. So thank you so much, RLC. God bless, and I'll see you at church. Can
1: we get up? That's awesome. Uh, I don't know if that excites you, but out of all the things we've done over the years, this has to be probably one of my favorite, just because we've done um, some really cool campaigns and projects that affect other countries, but this is so powerful to me of what we need in our nation, and I, uh, I hope you realize that. I'm like, you're thinking about the secular students that don't know Jesus that are going to be the future politicians and, and business leaders and journalists and all these people that will funnel what our country looks like in the future, and they have the opportunity to meet Jesus because we're planting lights in the area that they're, they're close to. We're not trying to expect them to come into the church. We're going to them. And so I don't know, that's something that I want to rally behind. So I hope you see that um, and that you will do that. So as of yesterday, we threw up that next slide. We actually have pledged $28,000, which is awesome. Like half of you are not clapping. That is awesome. Come on. That's really cool. So uh, our, our goal is to have all this pledged by next Tuesday, I believe, the 31st, October 31st. And I encourage you, this does not mean that you don't get to participate if you've not participated. We can give more. So it, we, we can go above and beyond and do more. So if this speaks to your heart, if God's speaking to your heart, um, please, I encourage you to jump in and participate with us. Um, you can jump in and pledge any one of these ways. You can mail, text, church app, RLC Oregon, screen, uh, scan this um, QR code, whatever doohickey thingy, whatever we call it, <laughs> uh, and uh, or put it in the green box in the lobby. So. I would really encourage you to participate in this. Um, and not only that, and I'm not trying to preach a prosperity gospel. You're going to hear that today. But I do believe God will see your act of obedience. And I can't, I can't under-express that. So anyways, I'm excited to continue on this series today. God highlighted a passage of scripture in my heart months back, like last spring or even before maybe if I'm trying to remember right. And I'm really excited to be able to share some thoughts based on this passage and uh, kind of take a little bit different approach than the rest of the series so far. Over the past few weeks, PK has done such a wonderful job Of of, of showing us what happens when we give both in our lives and in the kingdom in other people's lives Um, he also has given us so many great foundational principles as to what generous giving looks like and even why to do it and today I want to continue on with this topic which also is the title on message living an open-handed lifestyle so everyone put your hands out in front of you like this participation turn your neighbor say living an open-handed lifestyle And my desire is to expand our view of generosity from just finances to all areas of life. Because although finances are a major area of how we live in Above and Beyond Lifestyle, it is not the only area. And in taking this approach, I want to call out from the beginning, just because I'm going to suggest today that you can give in other ways, does not mean that you are um, um, removed from the responsibility of giving financially. I do not see that in the Word of God. So I want to make that abundantly clear, because someone's going to be like, dope, I don't have to give in this way anymore, because I can give in another way. No, that's not what I'm saying. Rather, I'm actually making it harder, and I'm raising the bar, right? Everyone's favorite thing. I'm stretching you further. Because what I want us to understand is that above and beyond living is not just done financially, it's done through every area of your life. God gave you life, he didn't just give you financially finances. So you go, God, here's everything back to you. And that's challenging, but that's the reality. And so I want to jump in that day, but let's pray first. God, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to get get into your word. God, I pray that you would speak through me. God, you know what everyone in this room is going through. God, you know the situations they're carrying. God, you know exactly how this word needs to hit them. God, I just pray that you'd speak to each one of us through it today, and we just give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Amen. This week I was uh, pointed to a story that some of you may have heard before. It's a story that seems unknowingly to me until this week actually quite popular, but it has para- powerful parallels for us today. It's known as the monkey trap, and it talks about how at some point in some time, some person in some, com- some part of the world came up with the simple yet effective method of trapping monkeys. Has anyone heard of this story before? You know where I'm going? Okay, a few of you. What they do is they take a coconut or gourd or a container or a jar, something that they can, they can um, facilitate this, this process, and they drill a hole or put a hole in it just big enough that a monkey can slip its hand through the hole. But then they fill it with extra weight so the object is way down, sand or rocks or whatever, and they put some food inside. And then they place it where a monkey can come along and hopefully fall into this trap. What happens, their hope is, is that the monkey comes by, goes in to reach for the food, grabs the food, but is no longer able to pull their hand back out as long as they hold on to that food because now their hand is is larger. They're they're hindering themselves. And uh, the moral of the story is because the monkey will not let go of the food, it becomes trapped. Because the monkey is close-fisted rather than open-handed, it is limited, hindered, and defeated. And I don't know how entirely true the story is. And I'm not sure if it actually works. I saw some different things surrounding it. And if you didn't know, there's not a lot of monkeys around here that I could go test this out. Can you imagine news headlines this week? Like, Pastor breaks into Oregon Zoo to try to test out a sermon illustration. <laughs> PK would have had it preached instead. Anyway, regardless, I believe it paints a picture that is powerful for us to grasp today. See, similar to the monkey who opts into staying close-fisted and remains trapped rather than being open-handed and finding freedom, I'm afraid human, humans' tendency is to do the same. See, we see, we find, we work for something that we want, and then we get it and we hold on tightly to it. Matter of fact, I think the mental picture of a closed fist, by the way, I don't want to call this out, but can I be turned down just a smidge? I'm trying to talk loud. I'm hearing like a little ringing. I'm afraid I'm going to just be crazy here in a second. Anyway, matter of fact, I think the mental picture of a closed fist is how many of us walk through life. This is how you look in in your mental way of walking through life. You don't probably do this, but this is how internally we feel. What's ours is ours, and what we have is what we want, and what we, what we have is what we want to keep. And I think, actually, in processing this this week, there's actually four areas we can all struggle with this in. The first one, which fits right in line with the series, is money. And no, this is not real. Pastor Jesse and Pastor Kevin already made sure to double-check, because they were about to mug me over it this week. Not really. Pastor Kevin's like, dude, like, what? Jesse's like, I see you got Allie's birthday gift or something like that. And I was like, no, Allie makes all the good money in the family, let's be honest. Okay, anyway, um... By way of quick Google search, though, the average person spends 90,000 hours at work over their lifetime. 90,000 hours of work. Or another way to put it, one-third of their life, which is not bad. God created humanity to work and find satisfaction in work. But what's the main reason that people work? Yeah, Say it louder. Money, Money right? We're like, sure, like, you may find fulfillment in work, but like, at the end of the day, like, you also work because you need this. Like, that's the reality. You need to buy food and clothes and shelter, a.k.a. necessities. In ways, money is the lifeblood of how our lives function. Without money, you can't survive. But money doesn't only aid survival. Culture has also convinced us that we need money to find happiness, fun, popularity, significance, relevance, rest, fulfillment, security. So we cling to our money. And when we're asked to give, the temptation is to go like, like, I don't know. Like, I've worked for this. Like, I need this. I, 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 I need something else more than I want to give. We don't know what's coming around the corner, and if we give, then we'll only have enough to supply what we need. The second one, though, is, is time. Say time. This is a beautiful alarm clock that I stole from my mother i was like i was like reaching out this week i was like i need a a clock and she's like you can have my alarm clock i was like okay awesome okay anyway each and every one of us whether we like it or not only gets 60 seconds in a minute 60 minutes in an hour 24 hours in a day seven days in a week and 52 weeks in a year it does not matter what you desire or not time is always ticking it can never be slowed down purchased back redeemed or relived, which makes us extremely guarded over how we use our time right everyone said amen You did not say amen because you know it's true and you don't want to be called out like that. Anyway, we have to survive and thrive, which takes time. If you want a good marriage and good relationships, it takes time. If you want to enjoy a hobby, it takes time. If you want to try to give yourself more time on earth, then it takes time to take care of yourself to give yourself more time. If you want to be more effective at using your time, then you need to take time to consider your time so you know how to best use your time. And then don't forget, you need me time. Right? Everyone knows this. Like, I'm just stepping on everyone's toes. It's the reality of all of us. And this to be said, like, and this being said, we're very close-fisted. Like, some of us are like, I can make more money. Like, I can go do something, I'll give you this. But this, like, this runs out. Like, I, I can't make more of this. The third one, which considers closely with time, and this one's going to be even more depressing, is energy. No, this is not empty. I know some of you are like, man, I need that today. Anyway, <clears throat> on top of the fact that you only have limited time in your days, you even have less energy. Boo. Like, that's not fun to hear, right? By way of another quick Google search, the average person sleeps a third of their life, and they sleep just so they have enough energy to try to live out their time. This makes people close-fisted over where they spend their energy. You have to decipher where you will expend this because you only get so much. And this also explains why coffee shops are so successful, right? We spend our hard-earned money and time to get this, to, to, to grow more. Am I right? Like, that's what happens. The fourth one, though, that I think is less common is what I'm going to call gifts or talents or abilities. And this is the fourth item I think we work very close-fisted over. Maybe you're really organized, good with kids, a great teacher, a great communicator, a great musician, a great artist, a great craftsman, good with cars, a total people person. The list goes on. There's so many gifts and abilities. The question is, where will you use this? And we all ask this. Where will we use this? And maybe some of you got a job that you get to use this to make money, which is really awesome, and kudos to you. Or maybe you have a hobby that allows you to use this, and you love it. It fills your life. It gives you more energy. It fills you up. But the end of the day is when you use it for those things, are you using it everywhere you should? We always have to go. There's only so much time. It doesn't matter how many projects you want to do or how much you want to use this gift. You only have so much time to do so. And so I think some of us, that tends to make us go like, ah, oh, closed-fisted, Right? Like, you, you, your God's like, I want you to use your gift, but like, God, then I can't do this, or God, I can't do this, or, or maybe you see someone need, and like me, my gutter's falling off my house right now, and I got it figured out, but I'm not fixing it myself, because I'm incapable. <clears throat> anyway, uh, and, and you're like, I can help this person, but should I? You know what I mean? Like, we all have to go through this. And in saying all this, I'm not saying that we don't use wisdom, that we just start throwing these nonchalantly, like we do not care. That's not what I'm saying. The Bible applauds and teaches wisdom. What I am saying, though, is that in these areas are where we tend to be most tight and close-fisted over. We don't struggle giving away something we don't want, right? How many people are like, get rid of this. And we don't struggle giving to something that ends up giving to us in return. But all four of these things can often be given and taken a lot of without seeing an immediate return. So we tend to hold them tight, right? I, I don't know if I should give these away. But you know what's crazy and funny about all this? Is that these are the things that God uses, A, to glorify him. B, bless you, and C, bless others. These items right here. Sure, there's a few other ones you could maybe argue, but these are what God uses the most. But these are the things we hold on to tightly and go, God, I don't know like if I should hand these over or not. Again, the whole idea of above and beyond is a hard posture and response that is formed by the recognition that giving through finances, right, time, energy, and gifts and talents is a privilege we have as people that have been given so much from an above and beyond giving God. It's going, God, here you go. I wouldn't even be here if not for you. The greatest enemy to living above and beyond, uh, an above and beyond way of life is a tight grasp around, the, around these things. It's not that do you have something to give? Everyone's got something. Even if you've got a penny, you have something to give. It's not do you have enough to give. It's are you willing to give what you've been given? Are you willing to open your hand and say, God, here is my life. Here's what I own. It is not mine. It is yours. And here's the best part. I don't think this is a suggested lifestyle. What's crazy is we spend so much time preaching on stuff like this, and it's not a suggestion. Like, you can't read the Bible and not see that this is not an expectation. This is an expected lifestyle, not a suggested lifestyle. And we see this all throughout the Bible. I go back to it often in preaching, especially lately. But when you read in Genesis, there's a passage of Scripture where God is talking to Abraham. And I love this because in this statement, God really encapsulates the foundation of who his people were supposed to be, who the church is supposed to be, who Christians, people saved by God, were supposed to be. And he says this, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. All peoples on earth will be doesn't it say all peoples on earth will be jealous because I bless you so much and then you see how much you could hold on to. It says all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He said, I will bless you so that you will be able to turn around and then bless others. And then later on, the people that God promised Abraham about in Genesis 12, because I didn't read it, but he says, I'll make you into a great nation. He says in Deuteronomy 15, I read this passage years back, and it challenged me so much in how I can oftentimes be stingy with what I have. He says, there needs to be no poor people among you, for in the land your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If anyone is poor um, among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or... Tight-fisted toward them, rather be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. And you're like, at the beginning, I think some of you are like, dude, where's this word open-handed in the Bible? Right there. And what's beautiful about this is in the context, Moses is talking about those who are in debt. And it's in a big list of all these different things regarding law. As they're about to enter the promised land, God's giving them this stuff. But what's beautiful is I think that this is more like all-encompassing than just that. This is coming from the heartbeat of Genesis 12, that I will bless you and you will be a blessing. God gives expecting those who receive to live an abundant, open-handed life. And so today, with the rest of the time, I want to briefly look at a story found in the Bible that I believe highlights two reasons why we should be living open-handed. And I know I spent half my message kind of in this other area, but I want to um, go through this today, and so kind of put your learning caps on for just a second, because I have to give some context to the passage we're going to be reading. It's a story found in 2 Samuel, and if you have, uh, you don't know where to read next in your Bible, I encourage you to read First and 2 Samuel. Um, I say, like, every book's the favorite in my Bible, but this has got to be up in the top of those favorites. Um, it's so cool. If you think your life is drama, read this, because it's not drama in comparison, but anybody have drama in their life? Do you want to admit it because the person next to you maybe is causing it? No, i was kidding. Okay. Hard crowd, dude. Tough crowd. Okay, anyway. Um, so what you need to know before we read this story is that in First and Second Samuel, there's a powerful historical account that captures a period in the time in the nation of Israel where they ask for a king, God gives them a king, and then you see kind of all the drama that unfolds with this kingship that happens. You see what happens over the frailty of human leadership. And on the service, this may sound normal for a time period a thousand years ago, but as you get into the story, you see a lot of stuff come down the pipe that you're like, what is happening? So early on in 1 Samuel, the nation of Israel comes to Samuel, and, and Samuel's a prophet or represent, um, representative of God. And he, um, he, and he uh, goes to God, and God's like, okay, appoint this guy. So Samuel reluctantly anoints this man named Saul. Say, Saul. And to sum it up really shortly, King Saul disobeys God, and God ends up rejecting him as king. During Saul's rebuke for disobeying, Samuel says, Your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Now, you may have heard about this man after God's own heart. His name is David. Yes, some of you heard about him. And King David is arguably one of the most well-known figures in the Bible. At least he's known that way now. But in matter of fact, um, if, you, if, if, if you only know what David became, it may be really hard for you to understand where he started because it was like just not a glorious beginning. See, after God, uh, after God rejects Saul, he has Samuel go and anoint David, a teenage boy, to be king. And the story goes that David, the youngest of many brothers, is found in a field as a shepherd. Some suggest that David was between 10 and 15 years old. Who would want a king, 10 to 15 years old? Nobody. Cool. Um, cool. <clears throat> And then it says, uh, he, he anoints him then and there. He doesn't become a king immediately, but he anoints him as king then and there. And from there, the drama really turns up, okay? So to sum it up, really hardcore right now, David gets brought into Saul's court as a musician. David defeats Goliath, which is probably one of the most famous Bible stories of all times, right? It's epic. We like the, the, the underdog stories. He ends up being sent out on missions by Saul and being successful in everything he does because of God's anointing on his life, which makes Saul in turn jealous because all of Israel's is like, we like this David guy. And, and, uh, and then what happens is Saul ends up trying to kill David. And then David flees, Saul goes after him, David keeps fleeing, so forth and so on. Eventually, though, years later, Saul is killed in battle and David becomes king at age 30. And you're like, why are you telling me all this? Because it's going to matter here in just a second. And he reigns as king for roughly around 40 years, I believe. But the story I want to narrow in on today is not found in 1 Samuel. It's found in 2 Samuel, way on later in David's life. All the waiting, all the running, all the hiding for his life has come to to a stop. And he is now king over Israel. He makes some mistakes, mistakes that actually bring on the events, I think bring on the events that we're about to read today. But uh, long story short, David finds himself in a spot where one of his sons named Absalom gains the favor of the people of Israel and ends up dethroning his father from kingship, which is where I want to pick up today. So 2 Samuel chapter 15, I encourage you, I'm skipping so much of the story before and after, so read it on your own time, but I want to show you what I see today. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people... Of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, "Come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he will um, move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword." The king's officials answered him, "Your servants are ready to do whatever the king chooses." So the king set out with all the people following him, and they halted at the edge of the city. All all his men marched past him, along with the Carathites, Pelathites, and six hundred Gittites. Everyone say ites ites. I don't know, it just came to mind when I was reading it earlier. It's like, I don't know, okay. Verse 19, the king said to Ittai the Gittai, why should you come along with us? Go back and stay with King Absalom. You are a foreigner and exile from your homeland. You only came yesterday, and today shall make you wander about with us when I do not know where we are going. Go back and take your people with you. May the Lord show you kindness and faithfulness. But Itai replied, no, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to shorten this up for sake of time. But he says, um, okay, fine, go, go ahead and march on. It says, the whole countryside, in verse 23, wept aloud as all the people passed by. Zadok, a priest, was there too, and all the Levites who were with him carrying the ark of the covenant of God, which I'll kind of explain here in a second. Then the king said to, um, to Zadok, take the ark of God back into the city. And here's what I want us to catch. If I find favor in God's eyes, he will bring me back and he will let me see his dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I'm ready. Let him do whatever seems good to him. Whatever seems good to him. Let him do it. And spoiler alert a lot because it doesn't apply to the message. Absalom dies. David becomes king again. Woo-hoo. Uh, read, if you want more, read more about it. But what I'm interested in is, again, what does this passage teach us about living open-handed? Why does it teach us to live open-handed? Which leads me to the first thing this morning. We live open-handed because what we have is not ours to begin with. And this is not rocket science, but what we have is not ours to begin with. One of the things that stands out to me most about this passage every time I read it is David's unexpected response. Although we just quickly prefaced and read this story, I've read it many times, and I cannot help but notice how David seems so willing to just let go of the the role of king, to just lay down the throne. It's like, David, why, why would you be willing to let go of something that was rightfully yours? Only one Israelite can be king, and God chose you to be it. I feel like if I was in David's shoes, I'd be like, Absalom, do you know how long I waited for this? Do you know how much I ran and hid and lived in the wilderness to wait for this moment? Because God anointed me. I earned this. This is my right. This is my possession. Why did David give it up without a fight? Why didn't he cling to it? Why didn't he tighten his fist around it? And in studying this passage, there seems to be several reasons why this could have been the case. Uh, first of all, David could have just been in fear for his life, those he cared about, and the nation, if Absalom would have come and, and had a battle and all the people that would have been killed. As well as, like I said, in, in 2 Samuel 12, 11, or 1 Samuel 12, No, 2 Samuel 12, 11, sorry. Um, There's a prediction because of a mistake David made that calamity would come upon his house in a similar way to this. But as I worked through this passage, there was something more to me. I believe David's actions were not only spurred on by these reasons, but by the recognition that the throne was never his to begin with. The text does not directly say this, but knowing the context of David's story, which I just kind of quickly gave you, I believe that this is at least part of the reason why David did what he did. And let me explain. From what I could find timeline-wise, David was anointed 48, 40, as king 48 years prior to this moment of fleeing from Aslam. 48 years. So 48 years prior, David found himself in a field, minding his own business, trying to be what his dad wanted to do with the sheep. We don't know what David's aspirations were. We don't know what he was daydreaming about. We don't know what he desired to become or possess as he grew older. But it does not matter. Why? Because God found a seemingly insignificant boy in a field and decided to give him something. He wasn't striving for it. He wasn't working for it. It most likely was a reality he never would have been able to have. That means that being king was never David's possession to begin with. God found him in a field and gave it to him. And this means that God is the one who gave, not David came and took and I believe he didn't hold it tightly when the opportunity came to lose it because he remembered this fact. Again, I love this passage of Scripture, 2 Samuel 15. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. How many people are bold enough to make that statement? That's, pretty, that's a pretty tough statement to make. And this has massive implications for us today. I think one of the reasons we're so so tempted and, and we often do be so tight-fisted over our money and our time and our energy and our gifts is because we are convinced that we, that, that we possess and we are what we are because, because, of these, because of what we've done. Sorry, I cannot speak today. We are convinced that we have done them, that we have gained them, that we've worked hard for it, we've earned it, we've taken the extra steps, we've done what no one else could do. But ultimately, I just want to call it out, that's a really arrogant way of thinking. Like, the fact that we believe we have so much control is actually, like, it's embarrassing. And I'm, like, the first up there. Like, to think that I can control as much as I can control. Like, you have so little control. Like, if you have, if you believe you're in control, then, like, you're living in a false reality, and I'm living there right with you. It's why we worry so much, because somewhere deep down, we know we can't control. To believe that your life, these things are yours to control, that they are yours to begin with when you didn't even choose to begin your life in the first place, is really arrogant. See, only one person had the ability to do this. And your abilities and your passions and your personality, your brain, everything about you was made and given to you. And there's so many passages throughout the Bible that show us this. John 3.27, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. First Timothy 6, seven: for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Ecclesiastes 5:15 Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb and as everyone comes so they depart they take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. In other words, all the things that we hold tightly to are not ours to begin with. Which reveals the heart for why we should live open-handed. When we argue with God what is fair or right for us to give, we are arguing not as the owner but as the employee. We're arguing not as the creator but the creation. We're arguing not as the gifter but the gifted. And I want us to grasp that today because I'm just calling it out. I don't think anyone in here can say I'm perfect at giving these things away. And I'm right there with you. And above and beyond lifestyle comes again from a heart, posture, and response that is formed by the recognition that all of this stuff is not from you. It came from God, and you're turning back and saying, God, here you go. And what's sad is that so many of us spend our life trying to amass more of this. Like, I got to get more, like, so I have a more full life. We're convinced that, that, that we're worried that we don't have enough. We're convinced that if we could just get more, we'd find satisfaction. So we close our fists and we live guarded rather than being open-handed. And I love this passage in Job. Naked I came from the mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Which leads me... To the second reason why we should live open, ha- live open handed, and I really want us to grasp this one. This one's going to take a lot of faith, but it's the true reality. We live open handed because God, not us, is the source. Say, God is the source. Come on, say it louder. God is the source. I love how in the story, David takes inventory of who and what is with him, and then he just starts sending stuff back, right? He sees Ittai, and he's like, as a foreigner, he's like, dude, what are you doing here? Like, go back. Like, I have no plan. I got nobody. Like, nothing. Like, just go. Like, take your men with you. In verse 24, he sees the ark of God. He's like, take that back too. And just to quickly summarize this, one view of the ark was that it was seen as the representation of God's presence. So he was sending God's presence in a way back. And my question is, why would David be sending these things away? Like our human inclination is always to gather more. If we're in a fight, we want people to be on our side. If you have a story and you want other people to, to be against someone else's story, what do you do? You gain more people. So it makes no sense. Why would David send the extra manpower and the representation of God's presence back to Israel? Hadn't he already lost enough? Like for me, I'd be taking everything I could. But I think it's because he knew God was his source and not himself. Again, if I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back. He will bring me back. I will not force my way back in. If he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever pleases him, whatever seems good to him. David knew that God held him and the situation in his hands. God would take care of him. God would sustain him. In Psalm 3, the psalm that David um, is um, supposedly have written when he was running away from Absalom, he says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying to me, God will not deliver him, but you, Lord, are my shield. You're a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head. I call to the Lord. He answers. I lie down and sleep and wake again because the Lord sustains me. He's my source. I will not fear because the Lord comes for deliverance. To me, David's actions are pointing out his trust in God. And I think a lot of us struggle to live open-handed because we are convinced that we are our source. And I want to try to show this to you today because this is, my, this is why I struggle to give. We think that we are in charge of supplying this to begin with and then replacing it if it's gone. And I'm not saying that we don't live with wisdom, that you go into debt, that you burn out because you're using too much of these and that you never create margin to enjoy life and, and relationships. But what I want to point out is that self-care and self-preservation has become such a fad that we have often removed God from the equation as our source. We got, I have to preserve because I am the source. No, you are not. You could die tomorrow. You have no idea what your timeline is. We've taken responsibility for ourselves that we have to supply, that we have to refill that we blatantly ignore his command to give, that we blatantly reserve ourselves. I don't know if I should serve in this season. No, you should serve in every season because God died for you. He gave you a new identity and that identity is I'm dying to myself. I'm picking up my cross and I'm following the King of Kings. It is not about you any longer. In pursuit of health, we put all these limitations on what we can and cannot do thinking that if we overextend, we will run out. But again, that type of understanding removes God as the source. And I want to try to illustrate this today. So I brought with me um, a container of bouncy balls. And this was a really poor idea, um, and you're going to see why in just a second. But I want to to show you what this looks like in a couple different ways. God kind of, as I was thinking, gave me some different perspectives. And I want to show you, first of all, what often many of us do when it comes to giving. See, uh, this is oftentimes what it looks like for many of us. So we have our stuff. Huh? They're already going to go everywhere. Okay. And so we live like this. We view giving and our resources as scarce, hard to find, and our responsibility to give. So we walk through life like, oh, my goodness, I need more money. Like, I need more time. I got I to gotta reserve my energy. And this is how we look. We look frantic, scared, trying to gain everything. We're walking around like this. So when it comes time to give, when you hear that God says to tithe, you're like, I don't know, I got bills to pay and my tires are gonna go flat soon. Like I gotta pay for stuff. You get asked to do something with your time and you're like, dude, in this season of life, I am barely making out the door on Sunday. I have little kids, my work, my job is crazy. I don't have any more time to give. Maybe you see something breaking and like I said, I have no ability to fix. Allie calls me Wreck-It Ralph because I cannot fix anything. I just have a gift of breaking. I'm not kidding, all the time. Um, But one of you has the ability to fix stuff. Maybe it's at our church or for somebody else, but your honey-do list, like, honey, can you do this? Honey, can you do this? It's huge, right? And so you get this, like, presented this opportunity to give, and rather than going, it's not mine to begin with, the temptation is go like, what if I don't gain back? Like, I can give. I got something here, but, like, what if I don't gain back? And the problem with this is is not that it's going to cost you something to give. Giving always costs, right? It it requires a price. The problem is that you've convinced yourself that whatever you lose, you have to try to put back. And I wanna challenge you today, that is false. I don't believe that's accurate. I feel like the Bible is explicitly clear that God is the supplier of all of our needs, not wants. He knows what you need. Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. See, this is what giving should look like. So we start with what we have. God asks us to give. Okay, I guess I'll give to the Above and Beyond campaign. Kids ministry has no volunteers. I guess I will serve, even though I don't even know how to deal with kids and they scare me. I guess I'll, I guess I'll help fix the building because, like, I know Pastor Kevin and Pastor Trenton don't have that ability. So I was, amen. So I'm just going to give it to you, God. But here's the thing. You don't be frantic like, oh, my goodness, I am burning out. No, you go to your source. And you go, God is good and he will supply every need that I have. And the beautiful thing is that he will sometimes even, like, he'll fulfill you to overflowing. And the beauty of it is, is it may not be exactly what you gave, but that at the end of the day, it's exactly what you need because God is a good source and he knows. So stop making excuses and cutting off your supply. Living open-handed causes us to go, I refuse the right to be responsible to be my source in this life. I've not done a good job of it for this entire time, so I'm not gonna try now. And with that brings peace. It's not that it doesn't take faith, it brings a different type of peace. And here's what I want us to understand just because in you living open handed, things leave your hand, does not mean that they or you leave God's hand. I want us to grasp that. Just because you, something leaves your hand does not mean you are outside of your Father's hand. I love that. God is good, He is our source. Which makes us consider one more thing. What happens when you don't live open-handed? Good luck catching. Good luck catching what God wants to pour back into your life. We cut off the source when we live close fisted and we take the responsibility to fill. We claim that we have the responsibility to bear it on our shoulders. And I'm, I'm afraid to say, I've been in the same shoe, like in your shoes, I'm saying it even at times right now. Some of us are like, I don't have anything else to give. And you may be very strapped. But the question is, can God trust you with more based off of how you are currently giving these things? If he extended your life and your time, what would you use it for? More worry, more stress? Or would you use it for him? If you were to grow your energy, what would you expend it on? Scrolling TikTok, watching Netflix? If he were to give you more money, what would you buy? Just more stuff? And this was really convicting to me. Sometimes like, man, it'd be so nice to have more. Why? Not so I could give more, so I can have more. If you can't live open-handed with little, you're not going to live open-handed with much. So this hits everyone in the same spot, whatever your life story is, whatever your current situation is. I don't care if you only have a penny to tithe. Like you tithe that sucker because you believe that God is your source. You give to this campaign and stop making excuses and give $10. And it's like, not to be manipulation. It's like, for crying out loud, Jesus saved you. And we're just wanting $10 so we can like impact the future of this state and this nation. And so many people are like, I don't know if I can pledge 10 bucks. I don't wanna be rude, but like, come on. Like God is bigger than that. God is bigger than $10 in your life going missing. And in saying all this today, as I close, I wanna bring two clarifications and I already kind of brought this one up, but I am not trying to promote a prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel is I give and I'm poor and then God will make my life more. I do believe in a way you sow and you reap and there's some truth to that, but I'm not saying that we're manipulating God by giving so that he gives more to us. We're not giving to get. What I am promoting today is to put your trust in God to supply all your needs. To go, when He asks to give, which is clear over and over, I'm not gonna refuse to do so because I trust Him. When I said, Jesus, I want you to take my sin, I didn't say just take my sin and then I'm gonna live my life. I said, take my sin and take my heart and take everything about me and use it in the way you created me to live in the first place. And secondly, I'm not saying, again, to to go into debt to give to this campaign. I'm not saying burn yourself out. My message today is to call out the stingy behavior that plagues all of humanity. Starts as a one-year-old, a mine, right? Like, it's mine, and it goes all the way until you die. You may get better at hiding it and and covering it up with a nice, beautiful smile and a, a couple tips here or there, but all of us feel that tension. The people that are really good at generous, I think, are just really disciplined. I think that's the reality. I don't think it's like, like you can tell me that it's natural. Sure, it it maybe gets natural as the Holy Spirit fills your life and there's more presence, but you, like it starts as a discipline. You have to learn to trust or maybe those people that are really good at it just are so good at trusting better than the rest of us. So how do we apply all this today? It's quite simple. I think you first of all need to self-reflect, and then I think you need to find someone that's going to be completely honest in helping you evaluate your life. Not, not someone that seeks to lose more if you give more, right? Like you go to your spouse and like, honey, I feel like I need to do this more. They're going to be like, no, because like you're like, I need you. That's not who I'm talking about. Like maybe your pastor or a friend, someone that's a, a third party that will actually look at your life. And you need to ask the question: Is the way I am living my life with my time, my energy, my money, and my gifts? revealing that I believe God gave it to me and he will resupply? Or does it reveal that you believe you gained it and you have to supply it? That you have to pick up the pieces once again before you pour back out? I love Psalms, I think it's somewhere in Psalms or Proverbs like, Lord, you keep my lamp burning. God, you keep my lamp burning. He is the supplier. I love it, Paul says, I will pour out my life as a drink offering, I'm doing that. When you get to heaven, It's not going to matter if if you're empty, if you feel empty. I think it's going to matter if your life is more full than it should have been, I guess, and and you haven't poured out enough, maybe. I don't know. But it's something to consider. And so I just want to challenge you today. And again, I could have gotten a million practical applications. There's so much our church could be doing if we had more volunteers. Like, there's so much we could do. I'll just be completely honest. We're not making budget. And there's a ton of people that come into our building every week and call this home. And you're not even giving a cent towards putting this. And that's not just for me to have a paycheck. Yes, I want to be able to do this full time. But it's so that we can keep our buildings open. It's so we can do stuff. It's so we can actually accomplish the mission of God we need volunteers. We desperately do. We need your gifts. Like I said, I cannot fix a darn thing. I will probably break it worse trying to fix it. So like, please help us. Like, I'm serious. Like, join the building care team. Amen? (laughs) Like, there's so many areas. And it takes you going out in faith to go, God, I'm just going to give a little bit more. But I believe there's more found in giving more. So let's pray. God, I just thank you today, God, for who you are. God, I thank you that you're good and faithful, God. And I know sometimes your word can be difficult, God. That's how oftentimes I hear it. So I probably preach from that passion. God, And I'm standing up here as one that needs to give more, that needs to process and, and, and make room to give more. God, you don't seek perfection. God, and you don't seek, you're not seeking an amount. God, you're seeking having our heart. God, and that, that comes in certain amounts, God, and that, that comes in certain behaviors, God, but we wanna just give you our heart. So today, God, that's what we do. Right now, God, as we in salvation said, Jesus, take my sin, come into my heart. Today, today, God, we say, take who we are, God, and and come into our life and do what you wanna do. We pick up our cross. We commit to following you, and we love you. We're thankful. Thank you for being so generous to us. Think of the hopeless life that would have been if we wouldn't have received from you, God. So you are so good, you are so faithful. We just love you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. I'm going to invite our prayer team up. If you need prayer today, um, I would encourage you to come do that. As well as, again, if you are new with us today um, and you filled out that connection card physically, please drop it in our green box. If you didn't do it physically and you did it digitally, we'll uh, reach out to you um, this week. And uh, we would love to connect with you and hear your story. Anyway, have an amazing week. We'll see you in the weeks to come.
0: Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world this single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.